Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. As we go through the parables of Jesus, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is unique in one important way, and that is of all the parables that Jesus taught, this is the only one where a character has a name. Everybody else is just known as this man or that man or this woman or that woman. The poor man is called Lazarus. Now, Jesus had a good friend that had died named Lazarus, and Jesus rose him from the dead. And so we can get from this that Lazarus may be a common name back in the time of Jesus. Since we have two people in the Bible that are named that, you don't hear a lot of people when they have Bible names for their kids, they don't use Lazarus a lot. At least I have not met one. This is also a very important story because as we wonder, as we say, that the Christian life, Christian belief is by faith. We are saved by faith, not by sight. And so people will wonder and say, well, what happens after we die? And as I have witnessed to people over the decades, uh, more now than I think before, people are just willing to say, well, I don't believe in heaven or hell. These things don't matter because I don't believe in them. Well, in this story, you've got two dead people. You've got a rich man and you've got Abraham. And they are having a discussion. So they are talking. They have passed away and they are in their eternal places. And they are talking about what is going on. And so that is something that we can look at and we can say, huh, what is going on after we die? And for people to say, well, I don't know. I have no idea. There's no information about what happens when we die, well, that's not true. If nothing else, you've got this story and you've got other statements in Scripture. This is one of two afterlife parables in the New Testament, in the Gospels. This one and then Matthew 25, which is a, a judgment of the sheep and the goats. That is an afterlife that happens after Jesus returns. And so we shall look at this one today. I think this one is important because of the information it gives us. And so in looking at this, I have, as is my practice, I will read multiple commentaries, some very old and some very new, and there is much discussion as to how real this parable is, that is Jesus making things up for the purpose of, of making a point. In other words, can people in hell see people in heaven? That's the big question that is going on here. The answer to that comes from the place of God can do anything he wants. Perhaps this rich man is the only guy who can see into heaven. I don't know, but we shall look at it and we shall look at how this is put together and some possible answers to that question. But people who look at this, that's their biggest question, is that a conversation between somebody in hell and somebody in heaven, 
Okay? There are... There have been thoughts, there have been stories, there have been movies, there have been books about hell. The most famous is Dante's Inferno. If you've never read Dante's Inferno, you gotta. You gotta because it's entertaining. It's a great view of people being given their punishment based on their sins. Okay? So whatever their life was like, their favorite sin... It's done back to them in hell for all eternity. And it's very colorful and it's very interesting. Uh, you have to read the book that comes after it, which is when Virgil goes to heaven. Okay, so he doesn't spend forever in hell. He just wanders through to look. Uh, in 1998, there was a movie starring Robin Williams called What Dreams May Come. You may have seen it. That is a, a Hollywood adaptation of Dante's Inferno. Robin Williams actually goes to hell to try to rescue his wife and get his wife out of hell, which we find in this passage says is impossible. You can't do that. And so we'll also look at that. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And it's the divorce between the saved and the unsaved. And he talks about how the unsaved without God view the afterlife and view what they're going through versus the saved in the afterlife. The, the idea in, in Scripture and, and all these books and movies is that people for their whole lives, some people, will say they love God, they want God, we want more God, I want His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and I want more God. I get more God when I die. I'm in the presence of God. I get all the God I can handle, as it were. There are others who their whole life will shake their fist at God and say, I don't want you. I don't want your rules. I don't want your, your plans. I don't want your direction. I don't want anything to do with you. And so hell as seen, is seen as a removal from the presence of God. Okay, We believe that those who have died unbelieving and are in hell are away from the presence of God, not totally because hell is the um, reflection or the, the fire hose end of God's wrath for their sin. So their relationship with God is one of eternal wrath, not of uh, grace. Okay? Not of blessing, not of even common grace. And so what is the context of this? Why is this parable told? If you look up in 14, Luke 16, 14, it starts by saying, The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You who are justified, justify yourself before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And so the whole second half of Luke 16 is predicated with a fight Jesus is having with the Pharisees based on the fact that they were lovers of money. Now, if you could bring a Pharisee here, boom, and ask him what this meant. Why, did he, why does he love money? 
There is a view, and it goes all the way back to Abraham. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. If you are rich, if you are wealthy, if you have more money than you know what to do with, that is because God loves you, God has blessed you, you're a very godly person. There are statements in the book of Genesis where Abraham, you know, and he has 4,000 sheep and 9,000 goats and 200 servants and on and on and on. And he loved God and God loved him. Abraham was considered a friend of God. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' life put two together incorrectly, saying that if you have wealth, that is because God loves you and because you are a friend of God, that God is responding, rewarding you for your good behavior. So the Pharisees would say always, 100% of the time, a rich person is being blessed by God. That is why they're rich. So if you have a parable in which the richest guy in Jerusalem who's happy about his riches, who have these great meals every day, he's the guy that goes to hell. The first point of this sermon is that wealth does not save you. Wealth is not a sign of anything to do with God. Now, God can bless. God can make you poor. God can do anything he wants. But your wealth is not necessarily, in fact, rarely, a sign of God rewarding you for your good behavior since there is nothing in the New Testament which says we work for rewards in this life. And so Jesus is telling a story of a rich man. He's a very rich man, clothed in purple, which means he had some royal lineage in him. He had a name associated with him. And he feasted sumptuously every day. The King James says he was full of joy every day. He was rich and he was happy about it. And he loved to spend his money and share his money in his gated house because it says that... um, that Lazarus and at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus. So he had a compound. He had a place to live which had a gate. Okay? Not a lot of your common people. Most people who are here today don't have a gate in front of their house to keep everybody out. We may have a little fence. We may have a white picket fence. But that doesn't do anything today. He had a gate. He had a gate like a city gate. He had walls around his house. He didn't want common people to come in and a very, very, the poorest person you can think of named Lazarus begged at his gate and the dogs licked his sores. So he was diseased, he was poor, and he was hungry. Now in the Pharisee's mind, that is a curse of God. If you showed a Pharisee somebody like Lazarus, they would say, oh, God's cursing them. God hates them because they are so poor, because they are diseased. And so Jesus flips it around, the rich man goes to hell, and Lazarus, the diseased person, goes to heaven. Now, in the King James, in the original Greek, 
The place that he goes is the bosom of Abraham. Rock of my soul in the bosom of Abraham. You may have heard that song. And that is a euphemism back in the time of Jesus for paradise, for God's comfort, for God's healing. It wasn't necessarily seen as the abode of God, the throne room of God, but all of God's goodness is there, that Abraham was running the place for the purpose of healing people. It says in the ESV that he went to Abraham's side. The, um, the phrase, the bosom of Abraham, the only place it exists in the Bible is this story. But Jesus, when he said it, they knew what he was talking about. They knew that it was the good side. They knew that it was paradise. They knew that it was holy, that it was perfect, that, that Lazarus was now healed, that Lazarus was now fed, that Lazarus now had water and had position and place. That's what it meant when he used the phrase, bosom of Abraham. Now, when we hear the word Hades or we hear the word Hell, if you look in the Old Testament and David writing in the Psalms, he talks about a place called Sheol. The Hebrew word for where your spirit goes when you die is Sheol. Sheol is neutral. It's not good or bad. It's just where all the dead people go. There has been a belief from the beginning of Scripture that when you pass away, your spirit goes somewhere. You are an eternal being. You are an immortal being. Once you are born, that which is you, spirit, soul, whatever you want to call it, is eternal, is immortal, will live forever. Okay? We are immortals. When you're walking around and talking to people, you don't treat people bad because we're all immortals. And you see people, you can say, hey, immortal. And people who don't know scripture will think you're weird, but that's okay. So, the parable is that this rich man dies and he goes to a place in the ESV called Hades. Hades is a Greek word. Latin word is hell. Hell and Hades and Sheol are all the same thing. Okay? At this time, before Jesus died on the cross, everybody went to Hades. Everybody went to hell. Okay? because there was no way open to get into the throne room of God. If you remember the one thing that happened when Jesus died on the cross and said it is finished, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the world was torn in half from the top down. That, the theological impacts of that is that we can now enter the throne room of God. If Jesus is telling this story in real time, then these people cannot be in the throne room of God yet. they got to wait another eh, year, eight months for Jesus to die on the cross and open the way. When we read the Apostles' Creed, it says, and Jesus went to hell, and people have said, well, what do you mean? All these people are in Hades, are in hell, are in Sheol. They can't be in the presence of God because a way has not been opened. Jesus died. And when you say, well, what did he do during, what did he do Saturday? Died on Friday? Saturday's not listed anywhere. 
and then Sunday he rose from the dead, Jesus went to Abraham's bosom, and he explained it all to everybody, what's going on, and he took them all to heaven, to the throne room of God, where this is, where Abraham's bosom is, is a temporary place that probably doesn't exist anymore. When it's empty, God probably got rid of it, okay? So this is, you're not going to go, when you die, you're not going to go to Abraham's bosom. You're not going to go here. You're going to go to the throne room of God because Jesus Christ died and opened the way 2,000 years ago. And that is where we go when we die. We go and boom, we're in the presence of God, Jesus at his right hand, all the choirs that are there and all the stuff that John saw in the latter part of the book of Revelation. That is what we shall see in one degree or another. And so, the rich man says, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and give me water. So the rich man, even in hell, is telling people what to do and trying to get people to do his bidding like he did on this earth. And Abraham explains that nobody on this side can go over there and certainly nobody from there can come over here. So the two things are separate. Today we would say heaven and hell. We would say the abode of God and the abode of the unsaved are, you can't go between the two. Once you're in hell, you're there for all eternity. Once you're in heaven, you're there for all eternity. They are eternal destinations, and we shall look at what happens at the end of time. But they are eternal destinations. And so when you look at heaven, the, the ancient view that rabbis before Jesus wrote about is that they believed that God, when he kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, transported it to heaven. Boop. And so when you die, you go back to the Garden of Eden. That's one view. Okay? John saw a throne room of God. He saw a multitude choir. He saw a lot of stuff going on. And that seems more realistic to us, is that heaven is a place where we are in the presence of God. And because we are in the presence of God, we have to be changed somehow. I cannot stand in the presence of God like this. I am sinful, I am broken, I am against God at my core. That is something that would kill me if I was in the presence of God. So when you pass away and you go into heaven, you are changed in some way. People debate whether it's your eternal state. I don't know. I think God does. I let he, if you're a Christian, all you really got to do is hold on for the ride. You don't have to make any decisions. We try to guess how it's going to be, but you're not going to get to heaven and say, this isn't right. You're going to get to heaven and say, yeah, I made it to heaven. Okay? So heaven is the eternal presence of God. At the end of time, 
Revelation 20 and 21. God is going to wipe all this out and create a new heaven and a new earth. In that new heaven and new earth, and the way the language is in the book of Revelation, those two things, heaven and earth, are overlapping a lot. So you can be physically on earth and walk over to the throne room of God without flying up in the air. God's in heaven, you're on earth. Heaven and earth are overlapped a lot in the final way it was supposed to be. If you look at the Genesis account, God walked with Adam on earth, heaven and earth way back then, overlapped a lot. God did not have to incarnate or anything. He just got down from his throne, walked over and walked with Adam. They're both right there together. Then Adam sinned, he gets kicked out. It looks like we're going to go back to that at the very end of time. That heaven and earth will overlap a lot. And there will be streets of gold. If you go to heaven now, no streets of gold. God hasn't created the streets of gold yet. New Jerusalem, big diamond gold city. Okay, that's going to be there. Twelve trees of life that have different fruit every year or every month. That is going to be what's going to be there. These things do not exist yet because those are part of the new heaven and the new earth. So the heaven that we go to now is temporary. Okay, At the end of time, when all evil is removed and all good is over here, then you get the new heaven and the new earth. It will be holy. It will be perfect. It will be everything you can't imagine. And you will be there for all eternity. And Jesus is going to be right over there. It says you don't need a sun or a moon. Don't know if we'll have one. But you don't need a sun or a moon because Jesus is going to shine. And so you know where Jesus is because you look for the shine. Right in the middle of the diamond and gold city. It is going to be fantastic. In heaven, if we look at this, Abraham is talking the rich man can see Lazarus. The rich man says, have him put his finger in water. So he sees that he has fingers. He sees that he has hands. Abraham is talking. So it is a bodily thing in heaven. However your spirit and soul get to heaven and exist in heaven, it is bodily. You will have your body. I don't know how much it will look. Uh, Mary wasn't sure that that was Jesus after the resurrection, if you read that in the Gospels, until he spoke. So we may look a little different, but we'll figure out who each other is, and we'll be able to interact with one another bodily. We will have hands, we will have mouths, we will be able to talk, we will be able to walk. If you look at the rich man, he says his tongue is parched, he feels heat. He also has a body. So people who are in hell are put there bodily. All the torture and agony that is coming to them is physical and bodily. He says that he is in flames. He says that it is hot. He says there is no water. And so hell is a difficult place. You look at this and this is where we get the images of Satan with his pitchfork sitting amongst flames in hell. Hell is a place full of flames and full of heat. That is the 
agony that is coming to the unsaved people. And it is a literal bodily situation. Now, the rich man, if this is a true story, a real rich man, he's still there. And he's going to be there until the final judgment. At the final judgment, hell will be emptied out and everybody in there will get a reprieve. They will get judged by Jesus and then they'll be thrown in the lake of fire. There is nothing in the Bible that describes what a lake of fire is like. It is your imagination and you can't even imagine what a lake of fire is or what it is to be in one. So the rich man will get a reprieve for a little while to be judged by Jesus. Then he will be thrown in the lake of fire along with Satan and the false prophet and the Antichrist. Those are all thrown in there. And all unbelievers will be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. Something to note from this passage is that if you are looking at the, this person, uh, the rich man did not care about God. He wanted God to leave him alone. God is leaving him alone. The rich man is isolated. He is alone. Some people say, well, hell is where all my friends are. It's going to be a big party. But there is no evidence. He doesn't say, I've talked with people down here, or I see all these great number of people. He sees nothing but Abraham and Lazarus afar off. And so inferred from this and from the fact that all friendship, companionship, relationship is all based in God, on love, and that if love is not there, then the rich man and everybody else who goes to hell is going to be absolutely alone with his thoughts. There will be nobody to talk it over with. There will be nobody to commiserate with them. It also says in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that God is light. And it says that Jesus is the light of the world. I believe hell is dark. I believe hell may be pitch black, except for the flames that give off light and heat. That it is lonely, you are alone, and it is dark because there is no light, because God is light and you've kicked God out. And so from this, he is asking for, for water, and there is no water. He also, the language he uses says, have Lazarus put his finger in water and bring it to me. He doesn't say, give me water. He doesn't say, I've looked everywhere for water. He doesn't say, there doesn't seem to be water here. And so, I believe hell is dark, I believe you're all alone, and I believe that you are immobile to some degree. I've done a great study on hell, just to see what people think and what people come out. And the image that I get more and more is that if you're in hell, you are chained by your wrists and your ankles over a pit of burning sulfur for all eternity. Can't move, no light, and just this heat, this flame of burning sulfur, which is brimstone, burning sulfur, is coming against you. But in heaven, you have water, and you have fun, and you have healing, and you have all the good stuff that you can look for. 
And so through it all, you have two destinations. This is not a two of a hundred destinations. This is not two of unlimited destinations. There is a feeling today that if I don't believe in God, that I will not go to hell. Somehow me believing in God, that you're going to stand before God and he's going, oh, well, you didn't believe in me. I don't know what that means. So people today believe they, if they don't believe in God or if they don't understand any things about the afterlife, that the afterlife will always be good. There is a majority of people today who believe by default they will go to heaven when they die. The default position for all of humanity, the default position for all of you, is to go to hell when you die. It is Jesus who saves you out of that. It isn't like we're neutral and God pushes some people this way and some people that way. Everybody is hell-bound. Everybody is going to hell and God saves some out of that. If you are a saved person, you have been saved out of the depths of hell. You have been saved out of the depths and the pain and the difficulty that is going on with this rich man in hell. I believe that you are alone. I believe it is in dark. I believe it is hot. And I believe now, because the way to heaven has been opened, this rich man cannot see Abraham and Lazarus. This person cannot see anybody in heaven because that part has been emptied out. Even if that still exists, he's looking up and seeing an empty room up there because nobody is in it because Jesus has taken them all to heaven, all the saved people. And so we talk about the fear of the Lord. We talk about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. We talk about the fear of the Lord bringing people to salvation. And I've had dozens of people say, Well, you're not supposed to fear God, you're supposed to respect Him. But in the Old Testament, when you look up fear of the Lord, that word means terrified by, terrified by God. I know three people who say that they read this parable every day. They read this parable every day because they want to bring about a fear of the Lord. They want to know the wrath of God that they will never experience as a Christian. They want to know the wrath of God that is coming against humanity. They want to know what is going on to the unsaved out there because that is where the fear of the Lord comes from. If a place like hell exists, if a place like hell has people in it, that is something to be scared to death of. I want nothing to do with that. And that fear pushes me toward Jesus. That fear pushes me toward salvation in Jesus Christ. There will be a time where you will go to heaven and you will meet both Lazaruses, the one that Jesus rose from the dead and the one in this story. And you may find many other Lazaruses if it was a common name. But the rich man you will never meet. And the only way we know of him is because of this parable. It ends with him saying, we'll send Lazarus back because if somebody raises from the dead, then they will believe as five brothers. 
But Abraham says, no, even if somebody raises from the dead, they won't believe. And in the story in the Gospels, you have Lazarus, the one that we, was his friend, he actually dies. And in the tomb, Jesus raises him from the dead. And the Pharisees' first response is, kill him again. They don't want to repent. Jesus raised from the dead and nobody who was against him came to salvation. Jesus walked around for 40 days and it doesn't seem like the number of his followers grew exponentially. So just because somebody raises from the dead like Lazarus and Jesus, just because somebody can bring about these miracles, anybody whose heart is hard, anybody whose heart is stone, is against God, even that will not save them. And so Abraham says, um, even if somebody raises from the dead, they will not uh, repent. He says they have Moses and the prophets. We would say the Bible this is what we use to know the truth. This is what we use to know the truth about God. And it is through these things. And so my prayer for me, my prayer for you, and your prayer for you is that you don't go to torment. You don't go into anguish. You don't go to hell when your time has finally come that you go into the presence of God. You go into the presence of God and Jesus Christ, your Savior, for all eternity. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise your name that the cover has been removed, that we can actually see what happens uh, when people die. And they go to one of two places, either paradise with you or into torment and anguish apart from you. I pray that you would Bring us to a place of realizing and understanding that we cannot save ourselves, that we cannot do anything to ourselves to save us from hell, but it is you. It is the blood of Christ, and it is through the blood of Christ that we can have eternity with Abraham and Lazarus and everybody. And Lord, we praise you for that and ask your blessing upon the remainder of the day. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.